0: I've got a couple of props here. Ah. Good morning. My name is Ruben Rubio, and I am giving the message today. And so I've got a pillow here because some of you haven't heard me talk. Since I've come back from my self-imposed exile in Indiana, but if you remember some of the times I've talked before, then this could come in handy for somebody. So, if you feel like you want to just (laughs) drift off, you can catch the sermon on SermonNet, right? So, here it's a this is a nice pillow, by the way. This is this is a good one, okay? Not a cheap one. So, just come and help yourself if you need it. Um, So, we I I have a kind of an opening statement, and uh, hopefully, this is something you'll find agreeable. In 1981, God picked the right man to set a strong foundation for this church, a foundation that has sustained us for 40 years. Amen? Amen. All right. So get that on the table. That is, that is also a foundation for this message. So here's a question I'd like to kind of ask you to let reverberate around in that cavity up here uh, while I talk, and that is now... This is 2022. So now in 2022, what do we want to tell God about who we'd like to have as our pastor? Do we want to say, and this is a very reasonable thing to say, I've been a part of a church that's asked that said this. It was spoken. God, send us someone who looks and acts just like us. Someone who will fit our church. Right? Very reasonable thing to ask. So the question I want to ask you is, is that what we want to ask here in 2022? So again, let that kind of bounce around in your head for, for a while. Um, so I've got a couple of stories for you. Uh, one is a prayer and one is a fitness challenge. So some of you may not have heard this before. I think I might have said this. But back in, gosh, when was it? 1994, I'm guessing, 93 or 94. And uh, when, when I was a graduate student at the University of Michigan, and uh, our family was living in family housing at the University of Michigan, and uh one of the people in the the board of leadership for it was like a like a resident board of leadership for the family housing was Kathleen and as part of that they organized a a discussion about homeschooling public schooling and private schooling to give a lot of us who are young parents who had kids hence family housing who had kids that were maybe just starting to get to school age or just at school age to kind of think about what choices we might want to make for schooling. Homeschooling was just kind of coming in. But public schooling and private schooling had been around a while and were tried and true. So this is like a little open forum for the people to do this. And so we had somebody who was there to talk about private schooling who came from a fairly well-known private school in the area. And we had somebody there to talk about homeschooling, again, came from a pretty pretty well-known homeschooling ann arbor has had a long for a long time has had a good strong homeschooling community even before it kind of became popular so they were kind of ready for this moment and then we had another gentleman who looked differently than the other two he was much darker skinned if you get my drift and he was speaking about the merits of public schooling and and the other two people were i mean probably all three of the people were people of faith the other two were a little more out of, outgoing in their faith because we think of public i mean, private schools and homeschools—as places where you can practice your faith, and public schools, for maybe, has to just be muted, right? You, maybe you can bring who you are to a public school, but you don't talk about God quite as openly. But this man who was going to talk about the benefits of public schooling started off his his talk with this prayer, and I spotted it. I said, "I love that." I'm going to steal that from now on so that ever since then every time I've spoken I've always said this prayer. So this is more of a prayer for me but you're happy to join in with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight O Lord my rock and my Redeemer. So let's get to the let's get to the fitness challenge. So so I have this this uh, this daughter who said Hey, i would looking for somebody to do a fitness challenge with me. Uh, Chloe Ting. Anybody heard of Chloe Ting on the internet? Okay, good. I figured if you guys were walking in like this, you probably would have heard of Chloe Ting because you probably would have done the exercises and you'd be feeling like this after that. But um, the, let me put it this way. It's, it's called a two-week shred. Okay, now, when I think of shred, I think of taking something and making little pieces out of it and scattering it on the floor, which is kind of how you feel when you're done with these exercises. So... Um, So I did this two-week challenge, you know, and I'm trying to haul my 60-year-old body. Now, I have knees that are less than a year old, but the rest of my body is still almost 60 years old. So I'm trying to do this challenge, and I'm thinking, okay, Chloe Ting is, you know, she weighs like 90 pounds. She's like light as a butterfly. She's very encouraging. And she said, you know, don't don't worry about doing the low impact. I'm like, I'm not worried about doing the low impact. I'm doing the low impact. Um, Although by the end, after two weeks, I was starting to do some of the high impact stuff. But... So anyway, I, I feel like I got pretty buff, you know, got, got better abs, got better, you know, everything. So I figure, you know, something like this, you know, should be a piece of cake, right? Um, so let's see, oh, that's not happening, okay. Um, sometimes, you know, even though you, 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 you do work out and you may consider yourself, you know, reasonably fit, there's times that there are things that challenge you, right? There are exercises that might be different, right? If you're used to doing this, or this, or you know, I'm not going to do all that other stuff. And then you get something like that. It's like, Whoop, well, those muscles don't do that. Um, but if somebody who's used to doing that kind of stuff, right, they're used to exercising with this, they make it look really easy, right? And then you realize, okay, maybe the reason I don't, I can't do this is because I don't work at it. Maybe it's tiring to do this. But if I were to try this for a little while, maybe it would be workout. So let's see, I'm trying to think, is there somebody out there who could possibly help me with this? Hmm, yeah. I do spy a couple of people there. Yeah, you guys want to come up and, and show how this might work? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. That's good. It, so again, if you have somebody that's used to doing the exercise, right? This this is a plug for their gym by the way. <laughs> if 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 you were, if you were like if if once upon a time you were like this and you came over and you went Uh, just give it a little give it a little work right and suddenly you'll be able to do it now here's another thought to kind of think about what if conversations are like that what if conversations we have about things that are happening in this world are like that sometimes we say i am so tired of this conversation is it because the conversation has given yammering on and on and on or is it because i haven't maybe i maybe i'm just a little soft in that conversation maybe i could i could use a little more exercise maybe if i worked that conversation a bit maybe suddenly i'd be strong enough and the conversation wouldn't be so tiring which is what would happen if you tried to do this right this would be tiring really fast but if you got used to it it wouldn't be so tiring so i think some conversations are like that as well and we might blame the conversation for being tiring when it's maybe it's us maybe it's not a conversation maybe it's a ministry model of some kind a way of doing things right if you're used to bicycling all the time which I love bicycling and then I do a different exercise it doesn't mean the bicycling was invalid and isn't helpful it is but maybe something else can also be helpful and I don't want to blame my body for not being able to do something different but I think okay I need if I'm going to work at it I need to work at it and recognize if I don't work at it it's a choice that I'm making it's a choice that I'm making So, if you would please stand with me, let's read God's Word together. I thought we'd maybe do this together. So this is from the the, uh, Paul's letter to uh, Titus. This is chapter 1, verses 5 through 16. I've broken it up into two pieces. So let's just all read this together. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, as he has been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. This is the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So let's uh, let's uh, get a little context on the book of Titus. Um, there's three principal characters um, there's the person writing, that's Paul, the person being written to, that's Titus, and the place where Titus is at, and that's the island of Crete. So uh, just a, a, sh- a short bit of context. So Crete is, um, I would call it an economically and politically notable island nation in the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, you can see it is, this is uh, Alexandria, Egypt right here, which was a pretty, pretty big stuff back in those days. There's Greece. Rome is up here somewhere. And then um, Palestine is over in this area. Um, And Cyprus, which is a place that that Paul and Barnabas spent some time at, is over here. So you can see if you're going from Egypt to Greece, Crete is a pretty handy stopping point on the way. And that's why it was an economically um, and politically notable island. Now, interestingly, the people... Had a reputation for being, let's just say, less than desirable people. If you've ever, ever heard the, a pejorative term called a Cretan or Cretan, um, I don't know if we say stuff like that nowadays. Um, maybe we do, but um, that's been around for a while. And you've probably, maybe you've even called somebody or called yourself that and didn't even know why. <laughs> well, you're calling yourself a native of the island of Crete, and you're basically um, slamming a whole people group. Right? We'll get to that later. Then we've got um, Paul. Now, anybody who has very little hair, and there were some extra-biblical descriptions of Paul as kind of being a man with ruddy complexion, which means he was kind of red-faced and maybe even had some red hair um, and short and, and mostly bald. So already kind of endearing to me, honestly, uh, the bald part. Um, that's a, This is an Orthodox uh, uh, church uh, depiction of Paul. And think about Paul this way. Paul was a Pharisee's Pharisee. He was Jewish through and through, like he was a, a Jew's Jew, a Pharisee's Pharisee. He was also a Roman citizen. Now, at the time, being a Roman citizen was not kind of an automatic thing. Like here in the U.S., you're born in the U.S., you're automatically a U.S. citizen. Back then, it wasn't quite that way. If you're a Roman citizen, it's because either you were given it by a, a parent, right? They passed their citizenship on, or you somehow acquired it, you purchased it in some way. Or it was maybe given to you because you did something really cool. Like if you watch the movie Ben-Hur, right? Anybody watch Ben-Hur? Right. Ben-Hur became a Roman citizen because he saved, um, the, the uh, uh, the, uh, well, the tribune, right? From, uh, from trouble on the high seas. Um, but it wasn't an automatic thing. Most people are not Roman citizens. So it was kind of a special thing to be a Roman citizen. He was also a firm believer in Jesus Christ as Lord, Messiah, and Savior. So he was fully Jewish, right? But fully a believer in Jesus Christ as Lord, Messiah, and Savior. He was an early church apostle, right? He would he would say he was called by Jesus himself. And in that, in doing that, he puts himself in the same camp with the original twelve disciples or apostles that were called specifically by Jesus Himself. Um, He was a church planter, right? That was one of the things. He planted churches all through this area that's depicted in the map. And he was also um, a missionary right? He went back and visited and made sure things were going okay. He kind of was responsible for getting the early church set up um, to go from people that were just hearing a message and responding with joy to people that were a little organized that would be in gatherings like this that would meet regularly to encourage and inspire each other. So, and then, not to overlook this, he was a martyr, right? He gave his life, right? In a kind of a nasty way, he gave his life, right? The, the tradition is he was beheaded. He gave his life for his faith, so that's a little bit about Paul. Um, now the other person that's kind of in the mix here is Titus. So let's let's look at just a second at Titus. So Titus was an early Greek convert to Christianity, and we know that because he kind of came on the scene in Acts 15 when Paul went down to Jerusalem to sort of mediate this 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 question: What are we going to do with all these Gentile believers? What are we, the Jews, because Jewish Christians, Jewish people were sort of the first Christians. What are we going to do with all these Gentiles? Because they're not acting like Jews. So do we need to require them to become Jewish in order to become believers? Or do we have to do something else? What are we going to do? So Paul came down and brought Titus with him as kind of, if you will, a role model, an example. Here's, here's a, here's a guy that's a Greek who's now a Christian. Okay. Are we going to ask him to be circumcised? Which is an uncomfortable thing to have happen when you're a baby and far 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 less comfortable to happen when you're adult are we going to ask him to participate as fully as a Jew do a bar bat mitzvah which is what we call it today um, or are we? Gonna, is that is that what God requires of all Christians and they had to kind of tussle it out there in Acts 15 and finally decided here are some things that we're going to say all believers should do and being fully Jewish is not one of those things they have to do so Titus was kind of instrumental in being a role model in that respect um he was also one of paul's troubleshooters if you see in throughout the new testament paul sends titus to places to kind of settle things down right when they when, when like notably in corinth right in when paul visited corinth he wrote a letter back to them and then he got everybody kind of in an uproar if you ever read first corinthians you'll see paul says some things that you guys are doing you need to stop um they, they didn't like what Paul said, so Paul wrote another letter that's probably in between 1st and 2nd Corinthians where he really laid it on the line. He really get hammered them, right? And then they, they, they were very upset after that. And so Paul sent Titus to Corinth to kind of, alright, let's get things organized, let's get things settled, let's get everybody straight on what they're supposed to be doing. And then if you read 2nd Corinthians, it's got a little more of a conciliatory tone. Where Paul is kind of acknowledging there was issues, there were troubles, and that the troubles seem to have passed. Well Titus was the one probably responsible for helping settle things down in Paul's absence. And so as a result, Paul was now or sending Titus to Crete, um, this notable politically and economically notable island in the Mediterranean, to kinda help with these these crazy Cretans, okay, or Cretans. Um, that were no that were kinda had a reputation for being kind of a difficult lot. Um, So there's a little bit of the setup. So let's let's take another look at the first part of the the passage. This is First Titus or Titus one chapters or verses five through nine. And honestly, we could probably take some of these things and put this right into a pastoral job description, right? This is you. If you haven't heard a teaching on this part of Titus before, um, it's a classic. This is what we were looking... This is what an an overseer... And There's actually a couple of different words. There's elder and there's bishop. But it's kind of referring to the same thing. Elder, the word there is actually presbyteros, which sounds like presbyter, or maybe sounds like Presbyterian. It's basically someone who says... who is mature in life, an elder, right? Kind of... It doesn't have to be an older person. It's often used to denote an older person. But it's just someone who's mature. And then the other word is bishop, and you see those words used interchangeably to kind of refer to what we would call today a pastor or a, a professional Christian, if you will. Um, and the word bishop here is the word episcopus, and that means overseer or superintendent or guardian. So both those words are referring to the same kind of person, somebody who's going to be in charge, right? This is going to be the person in charge of the of the church. Um, and you can see there's the list, right? The man is blameless. This is pretty easy stuff, right? Blameless, right? You can check that off, right? Blameless. Okay, husband of one wife. Well, that sounds a little easier, right? Uh, some people would say no polygamous. I, I think there's probably more to it than that. Um, having faithful children. Faithful kind of implies here believing children, you know, children who are who are who are in the faith, faithful in that respect. And then it says here's a couple of fun words: dissipation, insubordination. It basically means they don't they don't uh, they don't they're not into debauchery, right? They're not into sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and they're also. Insubordinate. They're they're not they're not rebellious. They they're not they don't they don't you know, pitch the middle finger to people on a regular basis. So that's what he's saying. Your children, the children of the elder or bishop, should be like that. Okay, all right. Let's keep going. Um, there we got blameless again. Okay, so that's in there twice. There's probably a reason for that, but I don't know. I'll leave it to you to decide. Um, a steward of God. So a steward is somebody who's a, a guardian, a caretaker, right? Um, not self-willed. So self-willed means we're going to do it my way or the highway, right? Pretty easy. Not quick-tempered. I think that speaks for itself. Not given to wine. Good thing we're Wesleyans, right? Not violent, okay? And actually, even with violent, there's probably a little more to that. It's not just violence, it's it's also... Somebody who would um, who would uh, kind of speak harshly to people, you know, cut people down. Somebody who, you know, you may not hit somebody with a fist, but you hit them with your words. Um, it's that it's that kind of person. So it's more than just violent, like physically violent. It's violent in your head, in your intent, in your in your speech. Um, not greedy for money. Ooh, okay. There's another another one on the list. This is getting to be quite a list, right? If we find a person like this. Congratulations. <laughs> this is this is looking like a hard list here. Um, okay, now we get some positive stuff. Hospitable. Okay, that means somebody that likes to welcome people, right? Welcome people into church, welcome people into the home, welcome people into the ministry, right? Not somebody who's kind of says, "Nope, nope, this is mine, this is my turf, this is my domain." Somebody who's a welcomer, a lover of what is good. I love that. I love the way that's that's stated. Sober-minded. All right. Just, holy, okay, just is in there. Don't don't overlook that. Just is in there, okay? Holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Those who contradict are the people who are, they're, they're, you might call it a, a gainsayer or a naysayer. You know, you say it's cloudy, they say it's sunny, you say it's green, they say it's red. You say stop, they say go, right? It's somebody who's just contrary and opposed to everything you say. Um, So what do you think? Sound like a good thing to look for in a pastor? Yeah? Okay. We might scare everybody off if we put all those things in there. But this is the biblical standard. Right? And somebody, maybe if they didn't observe all of these things all the time, but we'll give them say eighty percent. in my in my in my business, if you do something eighty percent of the time, you've probably got it. Okay, we'll give so if they can get this about eighty percent of the time, they're probably doing pretty well. I'm already disqualified, by the way, from this list. So um, So it's a high standard, right? I think it's a very high standard. And a lot of times when people have talked about Titus one, they kind of stop right there, say this is it this is the the qualification. So here's my question to you. What is the point of having such a high standard? I mean, why would you want somebody like that that's like they walk on water, right? What what is that person supposed to do? Well, let's see. Let me let me give some possibilities. Um, why would we have such a high why would we have such a lofty standard for a pastor? Uh so that this wonderful person could be a blessing to me. A blessing to us, right? So this, this person could fit our church. They can look like us, believe like us, and meet our needs, right? That's what we need a pastor for. That's why we want him to do all this stuff. Because when I'm acting like a jerk, I want somebody who would counterbalance that, right? That's what I want. That's why I want a high standard for a pastor. I get it now. Um, you probably note a bit of a note of sarcasm in my voice at this point. I don't think that's why there's a high standard. In fact, the scripture doesn't say that's why we have a high standard like this for a pastor. So that sounds good. I mean, not, don't get me wrong. I would like somebody to counterbalance my being a jerk or when I'm being lazy or when I'm inattentive to something who's attentive when I'm inattentive, who's soft and, and, and hospitable when I'm a jerk, who's a hard worker when I'm being lazy, right? Who feeds me when I forget to bring my own food. I would love someone like that. I don't think that's what the that's what the, the point of Titus is. They actually tell us it's not really a mystery. Let's look at the rest again, Okay. This is the why, and that is verses ten through sixteen. So, if you look, especially a couple of times in the, I'll call it the pink, the first one, especially those of the circumcision, and later on you see Jewish down there. Now, at this time, um, those of the circumcision, the people who are Jewish, they're like they're like the religious leaders, right? Paul is a Pharisee, right? Paul is one of those leaders. So he is talking about people like himself. So that the leaders, the spiritual leaders that Paul is referring to, to Titus, right now are the people that we would think of as the ones in charge of the church. And he's saying some of those people have some issues. Let's keep that in mind. Um, He has some kind of harsh words for those. If you look in the blue, insubordinate, idle talkers and deceivers, Teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Okay, bad motives. So he's talking about he's calling out people in what we would now call the church today for doing that. So, starting to formulate a thought, is one of the reasons that we have such, want such a high standard in a pastor to be able to speak to some of the issues that are going on in the church. I mean, honestly. I wouldn't mind having a pastor who speaks out to all those people, those nef people that don't believe like I believe that are running, seem to be running the world. I'd like for him to talk to them, right? That would be really good. So far, that this isn't saying that. Um, now, here's an interesting part right here. One of them, a prophet of their own, right in the middle there, said, "Cretans, this is the other pink part. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true." If you're reading this, you're like, whoa. That strikes me as a very racist, classist comment. Um, it's also kind of a classic thing. I don't know if you ever heard of Epimenides' Paradox, but this is kind of an example of it. Um, if you ever, and I, I first saw this when I saw Star Trek, the classic Star Trek with, with Captain Kirk. This is how he drove a computer nuts. He, he told the computer, everything I say is a lie. And then the computer couldn't figure out the logic of that, because everything I say is a lie, then I must be telling the truth, but I can't be telling the truth because everything I say is a lie. Dot, dot, dot. And the computer went, you know, started to smoke and then just <laughs> stopped, and that was it. Well, Epimenides' paradox is kind of like that. If, 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 if uh, the prophet, that's, that, that's, people have seen this, okay, I'm gonna put a different spin on this. People have seen this passage and said, okay, one of them must be Epimenides, who was a native of Crete. He was a Cretan. He lived a little earlier than where Paul and Titus are at right now. And he was writing about Zeus, actually, when he wrote this. And he was saying that Zeus is immortal, but the Cretans are kind of stupid. They don't believe that. And that's when he made this comment about Cretans. And like I said, there was kind of a, a, a reputation that the people were kind of like this. So a lot of people said, ah, he's talking about Epimenides' comment. And that's funny, that's a paradox, because if all Cretans were liars, Then if Eponinides was a cretin, then he was lying. But then if he was lying, he was lying about them being liars, which can't be true. There is a way out of that paradox, by the way. And if you want to ask me later, I'll be happy to tell you. Um, So, but I want to focus on the comment, okay? This is a very racist comment. And then he says, this testimony is true. But here's the interesting thing. When it says one of them right there, okay? Earlier, he's talking about especially those of the circumcision, those people who are idle talkers and stuff. Now, Epimenides was not Jewish by any stretch of the imagination. Would it stretch credibility to think that maybe this credo about Cretans had spread and people were bad mouthing Cretans ever since the time of Epimenides and that some of the Jewish religious teachers and leaders we're now echoing these comments about Cretans. Does it strain credibility to do that? When he says this testimony is true, is he saying, yeah, Cretans really are liars and uh, evil beasts and lazy gluttons, or is he saying, this is what is being said about them, Titus. This is what's being said about the people that you're supposed to work with. Okay. Now, if Paul was warning Titus, hey, Titus, I'm sending you to a bunch of people who are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, That doesn't sound like the greatest assignment. But what if Paul was saying, I don't think Cretans are really like that. But this is what's being said about them, even from people in our church, or even the Jews, our Jewish leaders, are saying this about the people that I'm having you minister to. So when he says, therefore rebuke them sharply, who is he saying to rebuke? Is he saying to rebuke the Cretans for being lazy, evil, gluttons? Or is he saying rebuke the Jewish leaders are making racist garbage comments like this i kind of think it's the second one and again he talks about them not giving heed to jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth and some of those fables are the ones that talk about god and, and this is a prevalent notion even to today that you know israel the jews are god's chosen people and they are and they're god chosen because they're a very special group and they are but not because they're extraordinary it's, there, it's because God chose a very small people group to reveal himself through the world. You know, where we would pick, like, the strongest, baddest nation in the world, an Egypt or an Assyria or a Rome or a Greece. Those are the kinds of nations we'd want, you'd think, if it was me, I'd want to reveal myself through a powerful nation. God picked a little dinky nation, a little dinky people group, and so I'm going to reveal myself to the world through you guys. That's what makes you extraordinary. But it's easy to get a big head about that sort of thing. So I think he's talking about some of the stuff that the Jewish leaders, and for today, it would be what some of the leaders of our church, not, not the Wesleyan church, the capital C church, people that are, that are talking and maybe even espousing some racist thinking about other people in our culture. It's interesting. It says in that other pink part, to the pure. I love that part. That word is Catharos. Does that remind you of a name? Catharos? I'm married to somebody with that name. That's, that's what Kathleen basically means, pure one. It's well spoken. You're well named. So, it says to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. If you're stuck in sarcasm and cynicism, right, and you're always thinking bad things about stuff, you're stuck there. You can't ever get out. And that's what it's, that's what he's saying, rather. Even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So he's warning Titus, there's going to be people that are going to be opposing you. They're going to be saying some nasty stuff about the people that you're trying to lead in the church that I want you to start and and prosper here in Crete. And you have to speak out against them. You have to be direct. You have to be um, completely prepared to talk about it, speaking from good doctrine. This is the why. This is the why for the high standard. It's not to bless me, even though I'd love that. It's to stand up, not to the world, not to those lunkheads that are always voting against me and voting and and putting things in that I don't like. It's to my own people that sometimes don't quite get it. They're not quite doing things right. They're not speaking the truth. They need the rebuke. I think that's what. That's why you need a high standard in a pastor. See, the whole law, Jesus said this, can be summed up in two statements, right? Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, strength, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Two things, right? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, mind, heart, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Today, it seems like we often have two parties or two options and they want to pick one of those two and run with that, right? There's people that want to do the first one pretty well, kind of stub their toe in the second one. There's others that do a great job on the second one, a little a little weak on the first one. And I think we need both. And I think that's why there at the end, they profess to know God. That's the first thing, right? They profess to know God. They profess to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But in works, in loving their as themselves, they deny him. And this is the thing that a pastor, someone with a high standard that we seek, This is why the high standard, so that they can speak out against what's going on. So the high standard is necessary so that this person is willing and gifted to speak out against falsehood and untruth and heresy from their own leaders and their own church and the people that believe similar things to what they believe. In other words, he's calling somebody who's strong, someone who's muscular, someone who can lift some heavy, heavy weights, And that's why we needed such a high standard, right, in a pastor. All right. So we seek a pastor for today's times. Okay. It's 2022. It's not 1981. And this is where we're at today. So just in the last year, we've had quite a few things to deal with, haven't we? (laughs) We had a plague, right? Still have a plague. Plague may never completely go away. I mean, the 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 virus may never completely go away. It's just hopefully going to go in the background. Hasn't plagued the world for like a hundred years. We haven't had something like this. Um, This weekend is an anniversary. Anybody know what? Remember what the anniversary is? Memorial Day is a good guess, but that's not the answer I'm looking for. A year ago, there was a guy up in Minneapolis. Who was killed on video in a pretty nasty way by people that we usually think of as people that trust and help us, and uh, and not all people that trust and help us act like this one or these four people did. But these one or four people did kill this person unjustly. That happened about a year ago. Um, we also had an insurrection in the last year, right? We had people that charged into the capital. Seeking to do harm to some of our leaders, including the vice president. All this in like in the last year, year to fourteen months. Okay, it's been a, it's been a crazy year. So what awaits us in our church, in our state, and in our nation next year? <laughs> right? What's what what's coming up? Who who is the person to lead our church through these kinds of times? For today's date, right? That's the person we're looking for. Now, I just want to kind of toss a thought out to you. Um, Was Titus asked to find an overseer who would be silent on issues like this? Does God have a perspective on these issues? And are we interested in seeking what he thinks? Or as a church, would we rather be silent on some of these issues so we don't step on people's toes? That part we read in Titus 1, does that sound like Titus is being asked by Paul to find someone who's not going to step on toes? I don't think so. I don't think so. So let's me let let's just think about this for a second. 62, 7 One of the things we might think about as a church for the future is a church that addresses racial issues, ethnic issues, issues of diversity in a biblical way, a completely thoroughly biblical way, but also in a very head-first way, in a very direct way. We live in a town, right? This is Albion, Michigan. We live in a town where 62% of the people in this town are, are Euro-American descent. They're white. So that means if there were 100 people here, on average, 62 of them would be white, Euro-American. 31% of the people in the city of Albion are African-American. So, if we were just accidentally reflecting the composition of the town, 31 people in here would be African-American out of a hundred. And then we got the little tiny seven. Seven percent of the people in Albion are Latino. So that means, again, if we were accidentally hitting the population mix of Albion, seven out of hundred people in here would be Latino. What would it take to move us from where we're at now further in that direction. If this is where the nation is headed, if this is where our country is headed, and it is, everything that we read has said we're headed to be a more multiracial, more diverse, more mixed community. If there are areas that are not, that are still homogeneous, they'll be that way for a little while or they'll be there by choice. But even in Albion, it's pretty mixed here. So one of the things we might think about is Is a pastor for the future of this church, a pastor that can maybe speak to or represent racial, ethnic issues? What if the next pastor of our church looked like that? What would you think? What if they had traditions that were meaningful and spiritual? By tradition, I mean a way of doing things. That was different than the way we do things here. What if people that looked like that were attracted to a pastor like that and started coming to this church? What would that mean for the rest of us? Would we enjoy it? Maybe at first. Would it be different? What if we were doing stuff and then they said, you know, we're not going to do that. The thing you're doing, the thing you're good at, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to do this instead. You'll have to figure out a new way of doing things. What do you think? Would that work? Okay, what if our next pastor looked like this? Okay? Instead of African American, what if our next pastor was was Latino? What if what if they had a different way of doing things? They asked us to reach out to a different sort of people, a different way of doing things, ministering than we do now. What if a different language were spoken here from time to time? Would we enjoy that? Is that, a, is that the kind of pastor we might think about for the future to lead us into the rest of the 21st century, into an America that's going to become more diverse, more multiracial, more multiethnic? What if the next pastor looked like this? So the next pastor is Euro-American but encourages people to be more activist on, a, on, on national issues and encourage people to take stands on national issues with a biblical perspective. I don't want to ever leave that out. With a biblical perspective. Because Titus said, or Paul said to Titus, sound doctrine, to speak with sound doctrine. So I'm only talking about sound doctrine. But what if we had the next pastor was a white pastor that invited us to be more activist in the, and participatory in the world in some of these things. What would we think about that? So let me go back to where I started. So in 1981, God picked the right man to set a strong foundation for this church. That foundation has sustained us for 40 years. I firmly believe this all all my heart. No regrets, no changes. The right person for the right job for 40 years. It has happened. We are enjoying the benefits of that. So in 2021, whom do we ask God to send us as our next pastor? What is in our prayer and heart? That's something we're thinking about right now, right? The LBA's been thinking about it. They've asked us to think about it. So what are we asking? Are we asking God, when we think about the next pastor, God, send us someone who looks just like us, who acts just like us, and who will fit this church. Again, that's a very reasonable prayer. I've heard that prayer before for a church that was looking for a pastor. We want to keep on going the way we're going. We like who we are, what we're doing, we want somebody that will just sustain that. You know, Chloe King is a really good exercise. It didn't prepare me for this, though. So what if What if we ask God to send us someone who will help us build muscles in places where we can stand and become more buff? What if that was our prayer? God, we've been doing this, but... Maybe there's a strategic shift out there for us in who we are or what we do to bless the kingdom of God. So why do we set a high standard for a pastor? Is it because we can have our needs met? We can be comforted? We want a a person who's able to do that, right? Or do we set a high standard for someone who will speak to a skeptical and hurting world, even to people who believe the same things they do? the same political party, the same small C church, the same capital C church? Is that why we want somebody with a high standard, to speak to that, who will speak words that they and we need to hear? Tempered with love, from a biblical perspective, sound doctrine. In the next pastor we bring here, would we tolerate any sort of change in our mission statement, in who attends here, in the focus of our worship, teaching, and ministry? I think that's an open question right now. We're in the formative part of trying to determine that. So my, my, my request, my challenge, would be as you pray, as you pray to God, God, send us the next pastor who's going to lead us, being fully thankful for the person that you sent us for 40 years, to thank A pastor who can help me build muscles to do things I haven't done before. Is that what I should be praying for? What does the world need, Lord? What does Albion need? What should we be so that we can meet the needs of the world, so we can be salt and light in the world? That's the kind of pastor I want. Whoever and whatever that pastor looks like. And if I have to change what I'm doing... Maybe I have to change what I'm doing. If I have to get used to new things, make new friends because new people are here, understand cultures that are different than the ones I've been. By the way, just in case, this is just between you and me. I've been doing this for a long time, me personally, because I grew up in a very different culture than this. I've had to figure it out for a long time. It's possible. It's possible. It's doable. But it's not a slam dunk. So can I have the worship team join me up here? So we're gonna sing a closing song. And it's a reminder that God has made everything. God has created everything, right? It all belongs to God. It's all his and it's all good. Regardless of the color regardless of the culture, regardless of the ethnicity, it's all good. And all I'm asking is that we pray for the next pastor to be in line with that.